You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Well, shall we bow our heads and pray? Heavenly Father, we, um, we, we approach your word. And in, uh, in a sense, therefore, we are approaching you. And we thank you for the promise in the Bible that when we draw near to you, you draw near to us. And so, our Father, we pray that in your rich and kind mercy, you would draw near to us through your word and speak to our hearts and to our minds. And we pray that you would bless us. We pray that you would do us good in your loving kindness. And that you would grant us food to strengthen us, truth to understand, grant us a light to walk by. And we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you'd like to turn to uh, a passage which is a parallel to Psalm 46, uh, turn to Micah chapter 4. And we're going to um, look at about the first uh, eight verses of Micah chapter 4. And uh, Micah chapter 4 is uh, frequently read on Remembrance Day. Uh, many services up and down the land. In many places people will gather who don't normally gather to do anything religious and uh, don't normally hear God's word, but they'll be hearing Micah chapter 4, the first eight verses, or maybe just the first four verses, four or five verses. And uh, so I want us to look at it together today and uh, to think about what God was saying through Micah then and to us now. So we'll read together Micah chapter 4, first eight verses. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised up above the hills, and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will say, will come and say, come, Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples. He will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war any more. Every man will sit under his own vine and under his own fig tree. No one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods. We will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the lame 
I will assemble the exiles and those I have brought to grief. I will make the lame a remnant, those driven away a strong nation. The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever. As for you, O watchtower of the flock, O stronghold of the daughter of Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to the daughter of Jerusalem. And may the Lord bless to us the reading of his word. Um, what I want to do first is just give a little bit of the historical background um, to, uh, to, to, the, to the passage. And I do notice that the clock there says that it's already nearly 10 to 1. Uh, so <laughs> a little bit of catching up to do. Um, and uh, after we've looked a little bit at the historical background, uh, I want us to give a bit of the kind of the, 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 the broad sweep context of, of what's going on with some of the themes here. And then I want us to, to look at the, the, the three main elements of what Micah is saying. And uh, they apply to us. Um, we live in the days that Micah was looking forward to. We've still to see the fulfillment of this. The people saw kind of a there and then fulfillment. Um, many, many passages of prophecy uh, are like, um, like layer cake. Uh, I mean, just think um, Black Forest Gato or something like that, if that's not uh, too uncomfortable a thought for you. And uh, you can dig into a layer and somebody says to you, have you had some cake? Have you had some Black Forest Gato? And you say, yes. And you genuinely have. You absolutely genuinely have. And there's still more to go in another layer. And yes, absolutely, you've had the Black Forest Gato. And then you, you, but you haven't really, you haven't really eaten the thing until you've eaten all the layers. Um, and so we have fulfillment of prophecies, but many of them within the text of what we've got as a text um, weren't fully fulfilled by the there and then fulfillment. So there's still a full fulfillment to come and then they'll be really done and we'll have had the whole black forest gato that is Micah, um, so to speak. So we'll, we'll, um, we just want to take notice that what we're looking at today is for us, even though he seamlessly goes into the uh, historical background, even though Micah uh, was writing in the sort of mid to early 700s B.C., now, it's not going to be an enormous blessing to you tomorrow and benefit against the tempter for you to be able to turn around and say, oh, well, you know, I know that Micah was writing in the mid to early 700s. The point is that he was writing at a time when contemporary um, with Isaiah, so there are passages in the earlier half of Isaiah which go very much along with um, Micah, when Jerusalem was under huge threat. I mean, it, was, it, was, it looked like it was going to be destroyed, the Assyrian Empire uh, had risen in the north. It had uh, swept away Samaria, the northern city, and the northern ten tribes of uh, Israel that were in that kingdom called Israel. Um, it had swept into the territory of Judah. Um, by the time that uh, the Assyrian forces had engulfed the surroundings of Jerusalem itself, sort of rising up like waters, floodwaters coming up almost to, you know, up to your neck and your chin as, as um, some of the biblical pictures give us um, for this time. It had, it had wiped out, effectively, um, some 40 towns or villages that belonged to Judah. So this is dire. This is, this is like um, 
advancing forces, unstoppable advancing forces have uh, swept down from the north um, in Venice. Uh, they've taken out Aberdeen, just like that. And, um, well, someone has to. And they've, they've kind of swept all the way through um, Tayside and they've taken out all that and they've just come right up to Dundee. Uh, so you're going to be living in fear and distress and you have been brought to an absolute end of your own strength and power and wisdom. Anybody with, with half an ounce of honesty in leadership or government is going to say we haven't a clue what to do about this. And into this situation, Micah uh, comes with a word from God which is twofold. Um, the first is, this has happened not because the Assyrians are stronger than God, but because God is bringing them to wake you up, to alert you to your desperate spiritual condition. Uh, your worship is half-hearted and compromised and mixed with the worship of other gods. Uh, your social justice is uh, almost gone. Your love of God's word has dried up years ago. Um, so God is alerting them to the fact that their fellowship with him is in an awful condition. Um, and so he is, he is giving them this sort of cry in the pain and the fear um, that we find voiced, for instance, in Isaiah with this fantastic phrase, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. You can get the senses of that. If you do not stand firm in your faith right now, when the crisis is approaching you, then when it breaks over you, you won't stand a chance. So it's... Now believe, now trust in God, which meant for them repentance too. So don't read the crisis as God abandoning you. Don't read a crisis as blaming God. Don't turn around and blame one another. You're all in it together. Repent, which of course strikes right at our um, almost incurable pride because to repent means that you've got to say, we got it wrong and you were right. Whereas our whole disposition in life is to say, I've got it right and you got it wrong. And we, we do that in groups of people, uh, we do that between groups of people, in, in companies, in churches, wherever. So God is calling his people to repentance. But the second thing he's doing, remember it's a twofold message, is that he is assuring them of his faithfulness to them. Their fellowship with him is in tatters. But their relationship with him is not. Because their relationship with him is established upon his covenant promise and his covenant mercy and grace. He is their strength and shield because he has made himself to be their God and it is he who will make them truly to be his people. 
So that, that covenant faithfulness inspires not only the, the, the crisis and God bringing the Assyrians to alert his people, but it brings them huge hope. And so in the, the three main sections of Micah, which are really sort of three parallel ways of looking at the situation that they're in, or three parallel ways God gives them to understand it. In, in, in each of these three sections, he, he both speaks against them and their sin, but speaks for them as he speaks of his mercy and of his future. His arm is strong to smite. It is also strong to save. Now, what we've got in, in chapter 4 here um, is some of the saving. We've got the hope. We've got hope for people who have become a remnant of Judah, which itself is a remnant of the whole 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, so reduced down to this little number in Jerusalem. I mean, when we think of Jerusalem, don't think of the present city. If, you, if you've been there or if, you, if you've seen lots of pictures and all the rest of it, it was geographically much smaller and population-wise much smaller as well. So this small number of people under enormous threat, um, in a sense slain by God's word, their pride has been slain, are being held out in these eight verses and some following verses that we won't take the time to look at this morning. Enormous hope. Um, Let's just step aside for a second or two from the text that we're about to to explore Um, and just take that pattern of Micah and let's just observe that that, as God reveals himself uh, in that, He is still the same God. The one that we worship and adore, the one we've been singing uh, about and singing to, uh, the one that we've been praying to this morning, the one who is here amongst us, is the same God. Who in his faithfulness will pull us up short. Uh, In his grace and mercy in his covenant loving Christ, will sometimes just stop us in our tracks, grab our attention with adversity. Now, we have to be careful. Not all adversity is because we need a rebuke from God. But when we wander from him, he will want to bring us back and he will grab our attention and he will let us know that we are wandering from him and sometimes he will do that with adversity sometimes he'll do it by bringing us into a situation that is way too big for us and is threatening and damaging and we think what is going on and he is afflicting us So, for instance, we find in the Psalms, the psalmist saying, it, is, it was good for me to have been afflicted. And he doesn't pretend that those who afflicted him were okay, just as the Assyrians were not okay. But he doesn't just sort of 
launch out against them, pretending that he must therefore be innocent. And so the Lord's people aren't just to sort of say, oh, what a horrible bunch of Assyrians. What do you expect from Assyrians? They're horrible people. They've got to look in a mirror. And it may be that for some of us, um, what, what we're being taught in our present circumstances is what David came out with in the Psalms and what the people here um, were being told through Micah that there are times when it is good for us to have been afflicted. Because if the Lord hadn't done it, our hearts would have gone astray. But always, always, he wounds to heal. So here's the healing coming. Um, In the last days, they have to wait for it. It would have a a fulfillment in the lifetime of the people um, as the Assyrians suddenly were swept away to deal with a problem that God gave them somewhere else in the empire. So as as fast as the tide came up, it went away again. Um, It's almost as if God kind of pulled the plug and woomph, off it went. Um, In the last days, but as we read it, we'll see that they're still to be fully fulfilled the mountain of the lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains it will be raised above the hills and the peoples will stream to it notice it's people's plural many nations will come and say come let us go up to the mountain of the lord to the house of the god of jacob he will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths the law will go out from zion the word of the lord from jerusalem And, and so it goes on so now here's the first thing Here's the first of the three components of the, the text here and the, the actual um, message. First is that God has a place. Um, and just in advance, um, in case we don't actually get there before tea time, uh, the second is that God has a people, and the third is that God has a king. Okay, so those three things place, people, king. Now, place and people. Um, run like a motif from the beginning of the Bible to the very end. Um, What God does is he creates a perfect place and then puts perfect people in it, Genesis 1 and 2. And the people are perfect in, in, in their being very good. They have the capacity to turn away from God. Right? Now, they, they didn't develop that capacity sort of, you know, under coercion from the serpent in the Garden of Eden, back in Genesis 1, 2, and into 3. Part of them being very good, part of them just being in God's image, is that they have the capacity to choose. And part of their dignity is that they carry the responsibility of their choice. So they choose to turn away from God and no longer reflect his image in the way that they were made to do, and start to reflect the image of the one that they did listen to, who was a serpent. What happens? God immediately begins the restorative, redemptive work of another place and another people. Continues with the first. 
Um, and they begin to get it wrong again. So they want to make a place for themselves and they want to make a name for themselves. So they build this great big tower. They build this ziggurat. They build a, a mountain, a high place to get up to God. And so God scatters them into nations that are distinguished, peoples that are distinguished by their languages. So they can't organize themselves and do that again. That takes us to Genesis 11. And immediately then, God carries on the restorative work of a people in a place. And so he takes Abraham and he says, I will make a name for you. You know, Genesis 11, Babel, they were trying to make a name for themselves. Well, I'm going to make a place, a name for you. And what God promises to Abraham is a place and a people. And that runs through until, lo and behold, the, the people have gone and messed everything up again. And they've got themselves stuck in Egypt. And so through Moses... God starts to do what he promised to Abraham in a new way. And what are they going to be? There's going to be a people. So we have these tribes coming together in a place, actually into the promised land. Now you can track that right the way through into the New Testament. And you see, what is God going to do? Well, he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. There's going to be a new place and it'll be perfect. And there it will be my people. And there will be the people. And the people will be perfect. So the story of creation to new creation is a story of a place and a people. Now the place might be spoken of as a land. It might be spoken of as a garden. But it's also spoken of as a mountain. And that picks up on the fact that mountains were very, very significant um, to people in the ancient Near East. Mountains were nearer the gods or nearer the upper deck, upper layer, where the gods lived. Uh, mountains were places where you would go high and get nearer to God. Mountains, therefore, became places and hills became places where you would build shrines and you would build temples and all those other things that were devoted to the other gods. And so mountains were seen as meeting places between God or the gods, depending on where you came from, and the people. So mountains became places where you did business with God. Mountain tops became the places where you met with God and you received things from God. You made your offerings, you received blessings. Now, we see that kind of thing happening. So Abraham takes Isaac up a mountain. Moses goes up a mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. Jerusalem is up a mountain. Uh, who went up a hill to a cross? Who taught from a mountain on the hillside, kind of echoing Moses going up a mountain to receive the law? So the mountain thing is one way of understanding the place. 
and on the mountain there's a temple. In Jerusalem, on the mountain, on Mount Zion, there was a place where he'd meet with God. You have to drive up St. Peter's Street. And lo and behold, at the top, Heather Southwick was an answer to my prayers this morning. She may not know that, but I turned in off the Perth Road, up St. Peter's Street, and I thought, oh no, there's a car coming down, and then there's someone coming up behind me, and I couldn't reverse, and I was, oh, did it. But they pulled out of a parking space, and it was Heather Southwick, and so I went into the parking space, and panic over. They were going up to worship. So here's a place. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and peoples will stream to it. So what's it saying? Is this topography? You know, is this kind of altitudinal studies? No. It's saying, amongst all the other places where all the other people want to go and meet all the other gods, one will be highest because one God is true and great and greater than all other gods. All the other gods that people appeal to when they're going into battle so that they will win, so that every battle is actually a triumph for their god. All those other gods, down. Jehovah, Yahweh, up. And the whole temple thing, they're the place where sin is brought to God, the place where sin is acknowledged and where the place sin is dealt with. When... When God comes down once a year, Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement, to make atonement for their sins, to forgive their sins, where blood was shed and brought before a holy God so that death might be averted. Be higher than everything else. Every other way of redeeming yourself. Every other way of getting right with the gods. Every other way of sorting it with, you know, the one upstairs. All those other things that people live with nowadays. Every other way of trying to get your way through life. Every other way of trying to win against every foe will just go down. And God will be exalted. Yahweh will be exalted above every other thing that is called a God. Every other place where you might go to make the future safe and right. Every other place you might go to try and ditch your guilt and live with yourself or cope with a difficult world, every other place down and there will be one place because there will be one God who is exalted above everything and every other God as the only redeemer, as the only victor over sin, as the only provider of a safe future for eternity. And therefore, the only one that you have to deal with. So his place is exalted because he is exalted. So when we read that the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains, it will be raised above the hills and peoples will stream to it, it's because God is exalted. And what he will do, and we we are seeing the process of it and we will see the fulfillment of it, what he will do is reverse what Babel 
ended up doing, which was scattering people away into all their languages and diversity and keeping them away from one another and therefore and away from God. He will reverse what sin has done, which is setting people against God, because peoples, plural, will stream to his place. And many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of Yahweh, to the house of the God of Jacob. We want what those people have got. That is, we want what he's got. And so what Micah is talking about is the, the great reversal, the great undoing of everything that Genesis 3 did. He's talking about the great fulfillment of the promise to Abraham that nations will be blessed through him. What God is saying through Micah is there is only one way to be redeemed. There is only one redeemer. There's only one Lord and God. And you too can approach him. And so many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, of Yahweh, to the house of the God of Jacob. I want that house to be where I am. I want that meeting place to be the place where I can have a meeting with God. Everything else I've ever trusted down there. Everything else I've ever worshipped looks flat compared to this. And so there's a place and there are peoples plural. And those peoples are being formed under God's word. So it's not just they're all having a great get-together and we're not just thinking of a time when you know, many nations will gather before God and we're seeing it happen um, and we're going to enjoy one another and we're going to enjoy all the diversity being brought together to worship God. It's not just that. But the people are formed by God as a people. By God doing what? By God speaking. By God addressing them. Come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways. And they want this teaching, not just because they want some knowledge, they actually want this to affect the way they live. He will teach us his ways, not so that we may know more stuff, because by and large the more we know, the more we want to start disagreeing with other people or something, but so that we may walk in his paths. So we come up to God, even now as part of the, as, as, I mean here, this, this morning, as part of the living fulfillment of what God is, is, is going to fully fulfill, we come together to hear the word of God. But there is the, so that. So why are you wanting to hear the word of God this morning? It's so that we can walk in his ways. Just well, let's bring another little light onto this. Two Timothy three sixteen. You know that all Scripture is God breathed. 
and is, next word, useful. Not interesting, but useful. I think it's just about the worst thing you can do to say that the Bible is interesting. It's like damning it with faint praise. It's life transforming. It is essential. It is the truth to live by. So Paul writing to Timothy says it is useful. It is to be profitable for the way you live. So let's, let's go up to the house of God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths because it's the experiencing of his truth in our lives which yields so much of the fruitfulness of his word. And the Lord will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And what's he going to do with this word? He's not just going to help us to walk in his ways, but that means he's going to bring peace. And as we track through from verse 3 following, we begin to see that, that, that there is something about the place and the people coming to it, which brings in the third thing, which is the king. What is God doing through his word in his place? He is reigning there. He's ruling. He's settling disputes, judging between peoples. He's transforming their lives. He's got a greater strength than they've got. He's making a change from a sword-driven culture into a plowshare-driven culture. A spear in the cupboard to a pruning hook in the cupboard. So that instead of sharpening and preparing for conflict, you sharpen and prepare for fruitfulness. So they're not going to take up sword against nation anymore, nor will they train for war anymore. And under that sovereign rule, there will be this, this idyllic peace. Every man will sit under his own vine and under his own fig tree. Now, that may not be your dream in life. Okay? Um, it may be. Fine. Um, you may not be hankering after a vine or a fig tree and sitting under it. Believe me, those of you who are younger, after you've been working for 10, 20, 30 years, the thought of having a vine to sit under or a fig tree just seems very, very nice. Because it also speaks about nice weather, doesn't it, uh, to us. And no one will make them afraid. Why? Well, because the one who teaches, the one whose law goes out, whose word goes out, he's spoken. Not simply that he has commanded that it will be, but in his speaking he has made it happen. The Lord, mightier than all, has spoken. And there is such a commitment to this vision on behalf of Micah and God's people that they say, look, all the nations may walk at the moment in the name of their gods. But we're going to start enjoying this already. We want it now. We will walk in the name of Yahweh, our God, forever and ever. 
And so God repeats the promise and then makes the king explicit. In that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the lame, I will assemble the exiles, even amongst his his exiled people, those I have brought to grief, uh, those from the towns and villages who have been carted off by the Assyrians and living under their power, I will bring them back, I will make the lame a remnant, those driven away a strong nation. The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever. As for you, O watchtower of the flock, O stronghold of the daughter of Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to the daughter of Jerusalem. A place. A place of exaltation for God. Redemption and fellowship with God. A people gathered from every nation, tribe and tongue, learning, receiving the word, and having their lives shaped and transformed by it. Because God is king and has his king in the midst. See, this is the fruit of the kingdom of God, of a kingship of Jesus. And today this passage will be read in countless situations where people will hear it and perhaps listen to it and perhaps think, what on earth is that about? I think they read that last year and it's got worse. But of course, if your heart is inclined towards the king, and if you want to be one of those people, then he welcomes you to the place even now. And you realize that even though the world might have got worse, his kingdom is growing. So uh, maybe uh, this morning, as we uh, think about the nations, as we look at the crises that deepen, our hearts might ache for the final coming of this day. We read it here in Britain um, with poppies and wreaths and brass bands and the army and navy and air force imagine if this was being read in a small gathering in a church a small gathering of believers in a house somewhere in Syria or in Pakistan or in parts of Indonesia or in parts of northern India or in parts of South America? Would you not hear it a little bit more keenly and a little bit more sharply? Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that um, you are about this very work, that uh, this prophecy of Micah in these days is being fulfilled before our very eyes and that we are part of that fulfillment. Uh, We, Lord, who I guess mostly are Gentiles from among the nations, the peoples, 
And yet here we are before you, before your throne, gladly acknowledging the kingship of Jesus, depending upon your sovereignty, finding our hope in you, Lord, we ask that the message that there is hope and there is peace and it is to be found and only found in Jesus. We pray that that message will ring forth, uh, not simply from this place, but from our own lives, wherever you place us. We pray, Heavenly Father, that like Micah, we might point to the sovereign who speaks with words of mercy and grace. That we might point to the one place and the one name, the one redeemer, the one hope. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.